our church turned 70 years old. Isn't that cool? You know, for, that's good. Yes, that's awesome. For, for 70 years, um, the Lord began a work here. And, and, and I think it's timely that we're in this series called Rooted because the, the roots of our church go deep. And one of the reasons for that is because we're, we stand on the Word of God. We are, we are passionate and we have been passionate about proclaiming the Word of God and being a witness for Christ in this place. And we're continuing that into the future. And I love it. You know, uh, years ago, uh, I was on a mission trip, and I was on a plane on the way to Guanajuato, Mexico. And uh, I'll never forget this. I was reading this book called The Barbarian Way. You ought to get it. It's a great book. It's by a guy named Erwin McManus, and, and, uh, and he's a pastor in California. And he was making this argument that was really interesting. He said, um, uh, he was talking, about, talking to, about a conversation he was having with his son. And he said to his son, um, or his son said to him, Dad, would you ever put me in a situation that was unsafe? And Erwin McManus said, he looked at his son and said, absolutely, I would. And, and I read that and I thought, oh my goodness, because we were in uh, the, the world of little kids. So we had car seats, we had pads around our, our crib, you know, Maggie's crib. And, and, and man, we were like, you'd buckle your kids in and they were like this, you know, in the car. And, and, and the, the idea of, of saying they would be in a situation that was unsafe was a little troubling to me. And, but then he said, he goes, have you ever asked God, God, would you ever put me in a situation that was unsafe? And the answer to that question is absolutely he would. And he's done that for generations all over. And he, he brought up the point of John the Baptist, that here's John the Baptist right in the middle of God's will, and he's serving the Lord, and he gets his head cut off, okay? So that was an unsafe moment for John the Baptist, and he's walking with the Lord. Well, it's interesting because as followers of Christ, um, all through Scripture, we recognize situations that are unsafe. And in Acts chapter 4, it's where we are today. And, and Peter and John are in this very difficult situation. And, and we, we saw this last week in Acts 3, if you were here. They, they, had, they had walked into the temple. They were going to church. And, and all of a sudden, they see this, this man that was crippled, and they healed him. And he's walking around, and, 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 he, and people are amazed, and they start preaching the gospel. And, and in this moment, 5,000 people come to know Christ. I mean, it's an amazing moment. And, and Acts 4 picks up as they're preaching. So um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to stand with me, and, and let's read. We're going to read Acts 1 through 4 together. And we, we like to stand, if you're visiting today, we like to stand in honor of God's word. It's just a, a statement that we say, look, this is God's word, not ours. And we're turning our attention to it. So after I read verses 1 through 4, I'll just state, this is the word of, the, this is the word of God. And I, I want to invite you to say, let's state the obvious. Praise be to God for his word. We're going to track all the way through verse 30 here. So stay here in your Bibles. Let's read 1 through 4. Acts says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. 
for it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now notice the number of men, it says. Now, I think there were many more that came to know Christ on that day because it was an amazing moment because this man that they had all known that was at the temple gate was paralyzed. He was, he was a beggar, and all of a sudden he was healed, and he's walking around. He's dancing. He's jumping around, and it was an amazing thing. Now, the Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees, these leaders, they come and arrest John and Peter in this moment. Now, the Sanhedrin, we got to understand who they are. They were the, the Jewish council of the first century. Now, these were guys that were, uh, there were, there were 71 of them. It was, a, it was a combination of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the conservatives in the group, and the Sadducees were, were kind of the liberals in the group. It, we, we can relate to this because it was kind of like the, 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 the Republicans and the Democrats, and this is who, who is, uh, these are authoritative people. These are strong people. These are rulers, and, and they're, it's somewhat intimidating. I had jury duty about two weeks ago, and, uh, and, and I, I got a little picture of this because I was summoned as a juror by myself in front of this judge and in front of these two groups of lawyers, and here I walk into the courtroom by myself, and, and they're just all looking at me, and they're asking me questions. I was like, man, I feel like I'm on trial here. It was intimidating, and uh, and this was this group. I mean, they were somewhat scary and, and leaders. And, and, and it's interesting because as Peter and John stand before them, they're not intimidated one bit. They just give it right back to them. Look at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, now keep in mind, these are the people that were all there when Jesus went to the cross. They, they were the ones that, that were saying, let's get this guy. Let's, let's silence this guy. And they're so frustrated because here they are just um, months later and people are still talking about Jesus. And 5,000 men are going, hey, I'm going to follow him. And they are ticked off. And they looked at them, verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means has this man been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, look at this, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by, this, by him this man is standing before you well. Now, now what's interesting is this doesn't sound like the scared Peter that was at the cross, Right? I mean, this is not, he's not scared. He's in front of one of the most intimidating moments, and he looks him in the eye and says, you did this. You're the one, you know Jesus, and it's by his name that this guy is jumping around in his well. And, and I love it because he's like, remember, remember him, bro? 
I mean, it's almost like he's kind of smart aleck. Of course they remembered Jesus. They, they were frustrated. And Peter had just preached the day before. 5,000 people are, are proclaiming the name of Jesus, and they're going, we got to stop this. And then he's going, hey, remember him? Yeah, I remember him. Look at verse 11. Then Peter, it's amazing what he says. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, what's interesting about this analogy, we just sang the song Cornerstone. That Jesus is our cornerstone. And see, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew about this. They, they knew about when Solomon's temple was being rebuilt and, and they were putting these stones together and they're building them and, and, and there was one stone that they said, ah, oh, we don't even know where that goes, so they threw it over the hill. And, and then all of a sudden as they get the, the temple back together, they're like, wait, what's this one? This is the most important piece. Where is this piece? And they realize, oh, wait, that's the cornerstone. We gotta go get that. And they... That's the most important piece. That's the piece that, that holds everything together. And Peter looks at these guys and says, hey, the cornerstone, you rejected it. That cornerstone is Jesus. And see, this is so important for us today because so many people that I meet throw Jesus away in their life. They throw Jesus away in their marriage. They throw Jesus away in, in as, as, as they go through this journey. And what you do when you do that is you throw away the one who can hold your life together, who can hold your marriage together, who holds everything together for you. And this is why I pray that, that if you don't know Christ today, that you come to him, that you say, Lord, I need to follow you. I need to serve you. I need to look to you. I need, I need you in my life because he's the one that holds everything together. I love Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It says this, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1, 17, and he is before for all things, and in him all things hold together. And so if your life is falling apart, I, 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 I want you to know that Jesus helps you hold everything together. And that's why we should come to him. That's why we serve him, and that's why we surrender to his voice. That's why we walk with him day by day. And this is why I pray that you turn to Jesus, because he's the only one that can help you hold things together. I love this. Now, but when you look at Peter and John, there's something that we need to recognize here. Because here, here's the thing. Um, when you walk with the Lord and obey his voice, things are supposed to work out, right? Isn't that how it's supposed to be? When, when, you, when you're obeying the voice of Christ, immediately, you know, you're protected, right? Right? Well, it's strange because... They're in the middle of God's will, and they're following the voice of the Lord, and they're preaching, and all these great things are happening, and they get arrested. You know, can you imagine them going, Lord, hey, hey, we're here. But there's a point I want us to grab today. Point number one in our notes is this, that following Jesus has never been a call to comfort and safety. 
And you got to know that. All through the scriptures, we see this, and, and it's crazy to me that, that, that there's this prevailing idea that, oh, oh, you're going to just have your best life now. It's all going to be great now. Now, believe me, following Christ is, is much better than not following him, but, but the reality is we're going to face difficulty. And I can imagine John and Peter, as, and we know this about them, that, that when after Jesus rose from the dead and, and he spent time with them and, and they kept remembering, oh, remember what he said? Oh, remember what he said back then? I don't know what Peter and John talked about when they were waiting this trial. Here they were. They'd been arrested. I don't know what their conversation was, but I bet it may have gone something like this because John wrote it down in John chapter 15 when, when he said, oh, yeah, Jesus told us that we were going to face this. John wrote in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus said, as a, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So we got to realize that, that Jesus has prepared us for difficult times. And, and persecution even. And, and at some point, we'll all suffer. We'll all go through moments that we don't understand. We will, and I've done this. I've, I've been with many of you in times of, of real difficulty. But can I tell you some things that I've learned through that? As I face difficulty, I've learned that God's present. That, that when, I, when I go through, I've gone through some of the most difficult, unexplainable times, but I've known the presence of God in spite of it. You know, I've, God has taught me that he can be trusted through difficult times. In spite of the circumstances, God's taught me that I need him every day. God's taught me that, and this is important, that this world's not my home. You know that, right? This world, this life, it's not our final place. That, that, that one day when we get to heaven, that will be home for us. God's taught me that his plan is better than my plan even when I don't understand it. And so I want to encourage you, if you're facing difficulties right now, understand that God is present with you. He'll help you. He leads you. He didn't promise that life would be easy and circumstances would be comfortable. And so let's embrace that. Let's hear that. But as a, and, I, and I think it's important that we as a body of believers, we prepare to be witnesses for Christ. We're to be witnesses in this world. And you see this in point number two that I, I want us to see that, that, you know, even when the pressure comes, even when you're put on the spot, and you may be in one of these really, really difficult moments right now in your life, understand this, that the Holy Spirit will give you words exactly when you need them. He will help you the moment you need him. And, and he gives you what you need in that moment. And John and, and Peter are in this really tough spot, and here they are about to go before some of the, one of the most intimidating groups of people known to an Israelite, known to a Jew. And I can imagine them going, dude, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? And I can almost hear that conversation 
Matthew recorded it in, John, in Matthew 10, 19, and 20 when Jesus said, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I can almost hear John and Peter going, yeah, he's going to help us. And can I tell you something? That if you're facing one of those most dark hours, one of the darkest hours of your life right now, maybe you're, that's you, do you know the Holy Spirit will help you? will give you what you need when you need it. And man, Jesus did that. The Holy Spirit did that for Peter. Because as he stood there, he gave them this vision and this message to the Sanhedrin. And I love it how God gives us strength, that God gives us courage, that God gives us hope, that God gives us power exactly when we need it. And this is why I long to, to for if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you, that, that you're missing this strength that is available every day in your life. And Peter and John, they lived it out. Look at verse 12, and, he, and, he, and Peter gets up, and he says, Boys, you smart theologians, you people that understand the law and understand uh, you're, you're the rulers, you're the elders, he says to them, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And the reality is we've got to hear that. Because we live in a world where a lot of people that say, hey, I'm a Christian, they will say, oh, but there's other ways to heaven. No, there's not. The Bible is crystal clear that there is one way to heaven. This is one of those locations in Acts 4.12 that he is the only way. And Peter boldly looks these men in the eye and says, there is salvation in only one name. And it's Jesus whom you crucified. And so we gotta make, we gotta hear that. We gotta not buy into that pluralistic idea. Pluralism means there's many ways to God. That's the prevailing uh, ideology of the day, of our day. And it's wrong. And then these guys, these leaders, the, the, they look at Peter and John. And look at Acts 4.13, one of the coolest verses in all the scripture. It says, now as they observe the confidence of Peter... And John, well, they were confident. Well, why were they? Well, dude, they, they watched Jesus die and saw him raised from the dead. They, they were like, hey, he's, he's God. When they observed their confidence and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. Now, I don't know if they had Oklahoma accents or if they were just hick boys or, I mean, Peter was a fisherman, John. They, these were just workers, and they looked at these guys and said, man, they're untrained, they're ordinary, but look at this, and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. What a great statement. Um, you know, I hope our world, I hope the people that I meet doesn't go, oh, where'd you go to school? Or hey, what degrees do you have? No, they recognize that we've been with Jesus because the power is not in our knowledge. It's in our relationship with Christ. 
And, and can people recognize in your life that you've been with Jesus? Can people see that in you, that, that you've, you've sat with Jesus, you've been with him? You know, what a great statement. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. And you know what they should have said? They should have fallen on their knees and said, Man, Jesus is God. We can't explain this. And, and I'll tell you, if this, 71, this group of 71 would have recognized Christ, the whole nation would have come to Jesus. Everybody would have followed them. But they were stuck in their religion. They were stuck in protecting them. But the problem was they had this undeniable miracle in front of them, and they were like, we don't get this. I don't understand. They, um, they, they looked at all these people are following Peter and John, and they're like, man, we don't get this. So they call them back together, and they say, hey, boys, stop talking. Stop talking about Jesus. And I love verse 19. Look at this. They threatened them. We're going to threaten you. And these guys had the power to threaten. Keep in mind, they just nailed Christ to the cross. Peter and John were likely saying, dude, we're dead. It's over right here for us. But they just threatened them. But Peter and John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the, be the judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And see, I love this, and we got to hear this. Peter and John go, dude, I, I can't help but talk about what Christ has done in my life, what I've seen and what I've heard. When I think about us as believers, that when we walk with Jesus and we watch the Lord move and God strengthens us through difficult times, folks, we cannot help but speak up about what Jesus has done in our lives, what we've seen him do, and how he's helped us, how he's guided us, how he's led us. And we can't stop talking about the power of Christ in our lives. But unfortunately, so many Christians don't, they're, they're, they're stagnant. They're, they're not walking with Jesus. They're lukewarm. And, and the Bible says, look, this is something that cannot be in us. That's why point number three, I want us to hold on to, that passionate believers are compelled to talk about Jesus. We're compelled to do that. But my, my struggle and my concern is, 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 you know, here we are in the American church, and it's so comfortable here. And it's so, um, you know, for the first time, we're seeing some struggle in the American church, the first time in a long time, and we're like all nervous. What's going on? Rather than looking at this going, Cool. Our country's turning away from God in a radical way, and we get to be the church during that time. Bring it on. Cool. That's the heart we've got to have. Peter and John, they were like, hey, look, I, I can't stop talking about Jesus. My, my, the burden I have, and I'm not talking at you, I'm, I'm sitting with you here. We're called to be the church in America. And we find ourselves telling each other, come on, come on, talk about Jesus. Come on, you can do it. Come on, come on, really, let's try. But then you have the first century church. They have to be told to stop 
talking about Jesus. Let's feel that. You know, um, stagnant believers. I just, I just started thinking this week, stagnant believers, passionate believers. God, help us be passionate believers. May we be a congregation that is, that is passionately walking with you. Stagnant believers brag about education and talent. Passionate believers experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, that's what I pray for us, that we, we trust the Lord. And, and when we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, it moves us to do things like the mission that we're building. And, and you, know, you know we're $500,000 away from building the mission? You know how easy that is for us as a church? If, if, a, if 500 people gave $1,000, do you know that we, we could break ground tomorrow? You know we could do that tomorrow? And you know this is one of the vehicles that we're trusting the Holy Spirit to use us and to lead us. And, and it's one of those vehicles that God's going to use to help us share the gospel with this city. We must do this. That's called living in the power of the Holy Spirit when we run to people in need. And you know sometimes people, stagnant believers, just brag about, well, we're really smart. You know, this is why we've got we've to know the Word of God, absolutely. And we've got to study the Word of God, and we've got to be theologically accurate. But let me tell you something. It better not allow us, we better not be puffed up. We better not be like, hey, we're smarter than all you other people. If you're studying theology correctly, if you're understanding the Word of God correctly, then what's going to happen when you study and grow in your theological understanding? It's going to produce more of the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to be more loving. You're going to be more self-controlled. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be more joyful. And this is why I pray we're not a church that just says, yeah, we're smart. We're theologically right. All you other people are wrong. No. That's not what happens when you study the Word of God. It moves us to walk with the Lord, to obey His voice, to, to love people, to welcome people. Um, do you know that a couple of weeks ago, we had a same-sex couple walk in the door and we're holding hands in service? Are we going to love them? Are we going to say, look, we, are we going to expect people that don't know Christ to act like people that know Christ? What are we going to do? Well, we, we ought to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, experience and work. Stagnant believers focus on ritual. Passionate believers encounter Christ personally. Are we going to, do you personally encounter Jesus? Stagnant believers talk about how God works. Hear this. Stagnant believers talk about how God works. Passionate believers live out God's work. See, when we live out God's work, it calls us to, yeah, we're going to go into Tulsa. North Tulsa, you mean, I've had people say, you mean you're going to go to North Tulsa? Why are you going there? You're all, I, I had a pastor when I called for some advice that said, oh, you know what? Your, your town is all, um, you're not multicultural. You shouldn't go. Your people aren't going to handle that. Thanks for calling. See ya. 
And guess who I'm not ever calling again? That guy. Because we're called to not be comfortable, but move out of our comfort zone, to walk with Jesus. We're not called to just talk about how God works. We're called to live out the works of God in this place. And when we do, a lost world looks at us and goes, wow, you guys have been with Jesus. Stagnant believers fear persecution. Passionate believers see persecution as an opportunity. You know, I, I look at our culture and people are like, oh my goodness, what's happening? Our world is, we're going to face persecution. Oh no. But we're the kind of church, we see it as an opportunity. Awesome. Bring it on. Lord, this gives us an opportunity to proclaim who you are. Stagnant believers have to be urged to talk about Jesus. Passionate believers have to be commanded to stop. Sometimes I feel like we... I pray that we are commanded to stop talking about the love of Christ. At your work... I'm not saying you need to go and stand on the table at school tomorrow and start going, repent, come to Jesus, you know. God tells you you ought to do it, but I'm not saying don't. But, but walk with Jesus. Listen to his voice. I love what they said. Look at verse 23. They were released. They just released them. Okay. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't punish them because if they punished them, all these people would have been mad and they're like, okay, that'd be a political suicide here today. So, so let's just release them. And, and they threatened them. And when they went to their own companions, look what happened, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said, said Verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. They praised. They started praising the Lord. They go, hey, they, we were released. And, and, of course, they were, they were excited because I'm sure they thought they were going to be killed in that moment because they did that to Jesus, and they thought, okay, well, we're, it's over for us, but, but it's worth it. And, but they released them, and they were like, oh, my goodness, we're, we're, we're set free. But look what they said, and it's interesting, um, that they, they started praising together. And this is important to catch because so often when we go through tough times, we pull away from the church, but we need the, we need the church. We need one another Hebrews 10 says, do not, do not neglect meeting together. We've got to come together, and this has got to be a discipline for us that we, we run to the church, we run to one another when we face difficult times. And if you're facing a difficult moment right now, you need us more than ever. So don't pull away from God's people. And then they, they, they started praising how the Lord, how great he is, how powerful he is. He's the Lord. He's, he's the creator. He's omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. God, you know everything. And look, I love this. This is crazy to me. Look at verse 29. Because this is what they started saying. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. 
They said, Lord, you hear them threatening us. They didn't say, Lord, take us out of this situation. Lord, deliver us from this, this troubled times. They, they didn't say that. They said, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to, cons- to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed in that place, which they were gathered together, it was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And what, I, what I'm still trying to wrap my head around this prayer is because here's Peter and John. They don't say, Lord, deliver us from those men. They don't say, Lord, get us out of this situation. Lord, this is the time to leave town. No, they don't say that. They said, Lord, give us boldness to stand and proclaim your word. Folks, that's who we gotta be. That's who we have to be. If you're on the bench as a follower of Christ, it's time to get in the game. You know, we're not bench players, we're starters in a world that's desperate to know God and see him at work. And this is why we've got to, I love it. On our 70th anniversary, we're, we're celebrating tonight this launch of a second campus, an expansion from Owasso into Tulsa. That's amazing. Folks, God's at work. And we got to be zoned in. So if you're sitting there today, uh, this, before the first service, I was walking in, and there's a man named Steve Roberts goes to our church. Been here a long time. I said, Steve, how long have you been married? 51 years. Cool. I said, you know what? Thank you for setting the example of keeping your vows. I said, I bet it's not been easy, has it? Nope. Nope, hasn't. You know, all through this church, we have couples that have gone through very difficult times in marriage. And they face problems together. They didn't run away from their vows. They said, Lord, give us the boldness to get through it. And God did. And God will. Whatever you're facing, God will give you the strength to get through it. Seth, it's so amazing to see you. I look at what God has done in your life, man. And I've watched God bring him through a saved marriage. God saved his marriage. God saved his life. I just wish you lived here, didn't live in Oklahoma City because I want you to be here. God's at work. Let's trust him. Let's walk with him. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. Come to Jesus. You, you don't don't go another day without knowing him. Maybe you're just 
disobeying him. Life's too short. These days are too critical for you to stop. Our altars are going to be open. Would you come? Would you come and follow him and, and serve him and, and not just talk about the works of God, but live the works of God?